business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on the CBS and Play It Network. And I am excited, as always, because we always have a great guest on Amazing Business Radio talking about all kinds of business topics. And today we are talking with Eric Chester, who is not only an award-winning speaker who has been inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame, but he is also a best-selling author. He has written a number of books. His next book is coming out right about now, and it is called On Fire at Work. He is an expert at people at work. And specifically, this guy is an in-the-trenches kind of a guy because he's been doing it and teaching it for a number of years. And his specialty is, is you know, and the comment that he used, the phrase that he used was school to work. In other words, kids coming out of school, whether it be high school, college, going into the workforce, how are they motivated? And what he's doing with this new book is he's taking a different twist. He's saying, okay, we want to know what motivates them, but what are they expecting from us as employers, what are they expecting from us as the people that we work with? Which is an interesting twist. I love the book. I know you're going to love the book. You're going to love what Eric has to say. Eric, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Hey, Chef. Thanks for having me on. That's a great introduction, and uh, I just I uh, just appreciate being with you today. Well, Eric, you've been I've known you for a long, long time, and we. We've been on the same programs year after year at the International Franchise Association. I know that's a big area that you work in because, hey, there's a lot of restaurants and different franchisees that have younger employees. But this this isn't about just the young millennial employee. This is uh, – and, you, you know – Prior to the show in our, in our pre-show uh, chat here, we talked about it. You said there's a bunch of 50- and 60-year-olds running around with millennial mindsets, which is really interesting because I don't think I've ever heard of a 50-year-old referred to as having a millennial mindset. But obviously, you think there is, or there are. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, Shep, it's, it, it, the reality is we like to look at us versus them and whoever them is for you. I mean, you know, we look at kids nowadays and – you know this this emerging generation, and you know I, I I was the first guy to write a book on the millennial generation. It, my book was called Employing Generation Y, W H Y, as in you know why do I have to do what you want me to do? Why do I have to wear that stupid looking uniform? Why do I have to work on on uh, Saturday? And hey, wait a second, I I've, I've been here for three days. Why can't I have your job? So it was basically explaining you know the the, the this post generation X. But now I kind of stand back and I look and I go wait. If, if demographics is supposed to be, and we all want easy answers, pat easy answers. So what does that make millennials? I mean, born between which years, and what does that make them? Uh, that you know, if you go just by what demographers say, that that would mean that a child who has a or a, or a uh, say a parent who has a kid on December 31st, 1979 at 11:59 p.m. is radically different than their twin brother that uh, that 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 mom has you know two minutes later, which is is ridiculous. If it's not two minutes, is it two hours? Is it two days? Is it two weeks? Or is it just basically a mindset? And now what's happened is we got this very influential generation that's influenced us. Older people, there's a lot of 50 and 60 year old millennials walking around. I'm talking about people that that embody the characteristics that have been, you know, assigned to millennials. That they're tethered to 
to technology. They feel entitled when they come into the workplace. They want to be noticed. They're taking selfies, all of that kind of stuff. So it's really not just a specific age. It's the mentality of the emerging workforce. And it's not to say it's good or bad. It's just very different than the old school thought process that many of us have. Great. So put a little concrete around the concept of millennial. In the demographic sense, millennials are were born at, at on what date or after? Well, you say the 80s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're you're looking at basically, um, you know, 1980. But a lot of people say through 2000. Some people cut it off a little earlier than that. It's just different demographers, different so to so to speak experts put the markers a slightly different. But you're basically talking about people who were born in the 80s and the 90s. You know coming of age now, entering the workforce. But, you know, you start talking about, the, the, you know, Generation X transitioning into millennials, Generation Y, Echo Boomers, and so many different names and titles. Millennials is the most popular. Now you're looking at millennials who were born in 1980 who were 35 years of age. You know, when I started talking about, you know, Generation Y coming into the workplace, the oldest of them were about, you know, 18, 19, 20. And it was easy to talk to a group of business leaders because it was us versus them. And you would just say, hey, here's who they are. But now, as I address an audience, you bring up the title of millennials, you know, 35% to 50% of the people in your audience are millennials. And it's really hard to talk to them about them. Right. The conversation and, changes radically. And so, m- millennials are now the largest number by percentage in the workforce today. They're, it used to be boomers, and boomers have been pushed aside by the millennials. Is that correct? Oh, and they're retiring in mass, in mass quantity. So, again, yeah, and Generation X, as we all know, is a much smaller generation. So you get this huge influx of millennials by age and by demographic millennials. But let's talk about the millennial mindset. How many retirees, how many, you know, uh, uh, retired school teachers and bus drivers and all decide, you know what, I don't, I'm bored staying at home. I want to get back into the workplace. And what do they do? They go work in a number of various uh, franchise opportunities or, you know, small businesses. They come in, you know, basically wanting to just augment their time, get a little spending money. And a lot of business owners are dealing with those individuals as well. And you talk about entitlement. You talk about people who are, well, so it's not just young people. It is a definite mindset this, this new emerging workforce has. So On Fire at Work is a great title. And by the way, the subtitle is how great companies ignite passion in their people without burning them out. In other words, it's all about what we can do to motivate, inspire, get them on fire, so to speak, at work. Why is this book different from your last books? And, and really, uh, you know, it's just, just another book. I mean, I'm, I'm setting you up here. I'm setting you up for, for your opportunity to explain why anybody should go out and buy this book, like, right now. Well, I tell you, Shep, the, the way I write books, not a lot different than, than, than the way you approach the subject. The book, a book idea comes to you when you're when you're a, a speaker and consultant in a specific area based upon the questions that you get the most frequent questions that you get from people who are in your seminars or your or your presentations etc so uh, for example i started talking about you know generation y and a number of people came up and started saying you know what you just don't give a damn they don't give a damn so my second book was called getting them to give a damn how to get your front line to care about your bottom line it was more actionable that as opposed to just 
just a look at a generation. Then, for many years, I heard people, you know, bemoan the lack of work ethic, and I went looking for a resource. You know, hey, we got to, you know, instill work ethic values, those values that, you know, uh, people expect from their employees right when they come into the workplace, values that, you know, used to be instilled by parents and teachers, and now people are saying, hey, they should have learned this stuff at home or at school, and they just didn't. They have the technical skills. They don't have the soft skills. So I went looking for that resource. Found out there hadn't been a book written on, you know, developing any kind of work ethic since 19. For 100 years, no book on work ethic. So I wrote one. That was the book prior to this one. It came out in 2012. That was called Reviving Work Ethic. Um, that was basically how you know a, the, a leader's guide to ending entitlement and restoring pride in the emerging workforce. How do you instill and you know inculcate these core values as an employer when employers never had to do that before? So. Now we're talking a, a couple years later, and it, I, I, I summarize all the requests, the questions, the people that email me, the cards. You know, Chef, one of the biggest questions you get, and I'm sure you get it all the time, how do I motivate my people? Oh, hey, all the time. Me, it's like, you know, how do I get them to do this? How do I get them to act this way? How do I get them to come to work with that mindset? What, you know, we talk about, and I love the Disney philosophy. You've got backstage. You've got, you know, on stage. And when you're on stage, you're, you know, think about it. Uh, the characters, uh, Mickey Mouse, Snow White, you know, they're on stage when they're in front of the people. But, you know, you go backstage when they're behind the scenes, when they're on break, when they're getting off work and they're taking off their costume. And you know what? They may, you know, who knows what they look like underneath that mask. Okay. And, and I'm sure Disney cares what they look like. There's probably some standard. But at the end of the day, we don't know what it is. But when they take off the mask, they become themselves. But when they're at work, they put on the show. And uh, years ago, and, and I've heard the quote uh, a number of different ways, but my favorite version was when, uh, oh, now I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Famous, oh, Richard Burton, famous actor, Richard Burton. Richard Burton, when he would walk out on stage, and you know Richard Burton had a lot, and a lot, some of the people, especially the, the true millennials that were born in the 80s and 90s, probably going, who is Richard Burton? Well, Richard, Richard Burton was an actor, passed away. Uh, it's a great example. He had a lot of problems. He had money problems. He had women problems. He had you know, all kinds of personality issues. He had drug, alcohol problems. This guy, when he walked on stage, it like disappeared. It was like the command performance of his life. He would go out there, and he would be known for saying as he walked on stage, I want to be so good tonight that I cheat the audience that was here last night. Think about that. Yeah, trying to be better every single day. And that's what I think, you know, that work ethic. And how do you instill fire at work like that? How do you make somebody want to come out and be better every day? And I think there's a couple of ways. They, they need to obviously enjoy their job, be fulfilled with their job, respect the people that work with them because they, those people, respect that individual. So here's what we're going to do. When we come back, we're going to dive into the book because I actually have a favorite page, actually two or three pages in the book. One of the things that Eric, you do so well is you don't, and so far we've been talking about concept. We've been talking about, you know, what is a millennial and a little bit about the background of the book, but I want to get into the meat of it. I want to get into the how-to. I want people, when they're listening to our show today, to walk away saying, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to try this. So when we come back from our break, we're going to dive into the book. We're going to come up with a number of ideas that are actionable. This is Shep Hyken. We're talking to Eric Chester. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio. We'll be right back. 
Do you know that some businesses will spend up to 50% of their office supply budget on ink and toner alone? Now, regardless of how much you spend, do I have a deal for you? If you buy ink and toner, then our friends at LD Products offer an alternative that can save you up to 70% off expensive brand names. And you know how I am about customer service? They're open seven days a week and offer an unprecedented lifetime customer satisfaction guarantee on all LD brand cartridges. You can return the product for any reason. Now, I talked with Aaron Leon, their CEO, to confirm this, and his exact words were, if you don't like the color of the box, we'll take it back. Now, to top all this off, just for the listeners of Amazing Business Radio, you get free shipping and an additional 10% off ink and toner. Just go to ldproducts.com. That's ldproducts.com and use the promo code SHEP, S-H-E-P, when you check out. This offer is valid through December 31st, 2015, excludes OEM, and the free shipping is just for the contiguous U.S. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio. We are back talking with Eric Chester, the author of On Fire at Work. In this book, there are seven pillars that you talk about, and I'd love to go through these because I'm sure that we can learn a lot from them. Well, Shep, you know, first of all, you have to look and say, what is it in reviving work ethic that book was all about what do we want out of them what do we the employer the leader the business owner the operator the manager etc what is it we want out of them now if you want to go how do i motivate my people you have to look at a foundational question what is it that they want out of us because motivation is just a day-to-day thing but how can we inspire people to work harder to perform better and stay longer we have to be the kind of companies that do that so by the way who doesn't want that so <laughs> we all want it. I know. So you take off you take off your glasses as an employer. What do I want out of them? And you sit back and you go, okay. If I were looking for a job right now, what would I want? Why would I go to work? Well, there's the, 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 there's no person that would sit down and say I would give up on any of the following seven things I'm going to give you. Number one, we do it for a paycheck. Now that might be not be your your most important thing, but we have to be paid for what we do. That's compensation. So that's the money, the perks, the benefit, the work-life balance. Compensation comes from the Latin word compensare, which is counterbalancing this for that. We have to look at that, study that. Then we look at alignment. Do we want to work for a company who shares our values, right, or that we at least share their values? Or we don't want to work for – no matter how much we're being paid, we don't want to work for some company that's polluting the environment or you know, taking advantage of child labor in some third-world country country. We want to make sure that we're in alignment with them. We also don't, no matter what it is, what do we want to be in five years? It's probably different than we are now. We want to be on a trajectory. We want growth in our careers. That's the third foundational principle, the, the, the third cultural pillar, growth, some type of growth. Number four, we want to work in an atmosphere that we find is safe, upbeat, and an enjoyable experience. We want to have fun when we're at work. Work is, is not something just going to the mill, so that would be the fourth. The fifth thing is acknowledgement. We do a good job. We want to feel appreciated, rewarded, sometimes even celebrated because we did a good job. There's nobody that wants to uh, you know, go to work day in and day out and never get an attaboy. You know, number six, numbers, uh, six would be autonomy. No matter how much you're paid, no matter what the working environment, we want to be able to make some decisions and know that if we make a wrong decision, our manager has our back. No one wants to be micromanaged. And last but not least, we want to know what's going on. We want communication. 
What's happening behind closed doors at the corporate office? Are we growing? Are we making money, losing money? What's happening? What's the future look like? Don't just sit here and keep me in the dark, right? Don't, don't, don't make me and just let, you know, give me on an as-need-to-know basis. Let me know what's going on. And by the way, if I have an idea, are you listening to me? Maybe I've got a new process, a new way to make more money, to you know, trim expenses, something that we could do. So the communication is so vital. So and those it's are two the way. seven, it's two seven way. pillars right. of a great workplace culture. So one of the things I believe in is uh, having serious fun while we're at work. And fun is not fun, ha-ha, let's go out and have a party. Fun is an acronym for fulfillment, uniqueness, and next. And I think all seven of these pillars kind of tie into the concept of, hey, we want our people to be fulfilled. You know what? They want to work in an organization and, and be in alignment with what the organization's culture is in that atmosphere. They want that opportunity for growth. They want to be acknowledged when they're doing a good job. Compensation may be part of their fulfillment. But here's the most important things that people leave out is the U stands for uniqueness. The autonomy is partially uniqueness. The communication, are you listening to me and letting me share with you if I'm your employee Am I able to share with you my ideas, and are you taking them into serious consideration? And you're going to get me excited about what's next if you if you tell me what's going on. So I want to take each one of these seven, and I want you to give us one or two tips on each one. Let's start with the first one, compensation. Well, compensation, you know, there's so much a race for the bottom. Can we trim expenses? How little can we pay our people and get the most out of them? When you think about compensation, it's basically, you know, I need people to perform so I can make a whole lot of money on them. So how little can I pay them and how much can I get out of them? You start looking at companies that take this uh, a different approach. For example, the, the container store. The container store is always listed as one of the top workplaces in America, regardless of what study you're looking at. They're at a phenomenal retailer. And I had the opportunity to interview uh, Melissa Reif, who's the president of the container store. And she told me about their uh, one equals three philosophy, which means one great employee equals three mediocre employees. So I can, you know, race to the bottom and have mediocre employees who are half in it. Or rather than take three mediocre minimum wage people, I can take one person, pay them extremely well, pay them maybe twice what they might make somewhere else. But it's still you know, uh, uh, two-thirds of what I'd be paying three people to do the exact same job. So Container Store has a different philosophy. The average floor salesperson makes $50,000 a year, but they have 250 hours of training before they even get on the floor. They invest in their people. They compensate them well. And as a result, Container Store has never had a layoff. Their turnover is extremely low. They look at compensation differently. So there's an example of a company that just does something different when it comes to compensation. And I give a number of other examples of companies who are looking at compensation from a different viewpoint. It's not all what you pay them. As long as an employee feels like I'm being paid fairly, you can kind of check that off the list. Right. It's not a race to, can I pay him more than anybody else? There's a lot of companies that say, look, we're not Google. We can't afford to pay a, you know, a six-figure salary coming right out of school. I get that. So what can you do? Let's just make sure that compensation is checked on the list. Right. So give me an example of a great perk, something that's unique that most people don't think of as a perk. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I'll tell you one thing. Um, you know, I, I got a chance to, to study the Mars company, and Mars is, you know, 70,000 employees and, and uh, you know, $32 billion a, 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 a year. You're talking about Mars, the all... candy bar people. Yeah, the candy yeah, bar companies. But they're vending machines. Companies and yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. But Mars is a privately held company, and I got a chance to talk to a top-ranking executive, number five in the company. He told, he told me every single day 
that he comes to work, he has to punch in. Now, you imagine this guy who is a C-level employee has to punch in, and he says, you know, I don't mind because so does employee number four, three, two, and one. Everybody punches in the Mars company. And here's the interesting thing. He says, you know, here in the corporate headquarters out of McLean, Virginia, the workday starts at 8.30. But he says, if you're here and punch in before 8.30, you get a 10% bonus on that day. So rather than punishing people who are late, they reward people who are early. And you talk about a perk, okay? Uh, what would a perk be? Their travel policy. They turn around and say, look, we know executives travel. So first of all, you pick the airline, you pick the hotel, you go where you want to go, and you know something? We're going to allow you to take uh, your significant other with you. The same class of airline service, the same hotel, we're not going to count that. And, 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 and my insider, I said, what, how can they afford justify? Everyone's look, trimming their dollar, and he says, look, they do this in their entire travel policy. The reason they do it is very simple. I went and asked him, I said, why do you do this? He goes, what would a divorce cost? What would a divorce cost somebody who's constantly on the road or has to travel a lot and their significant other at home is saying you're never here and what have you? They're miserable. They're displaced. Instead of doing that, we want people to be excited about going, excited about being on the road. And so, I'll tell you what else. The cost of the divorce is one thing. The employee's morale through that divorce, their, their whole uh, work effort could tank as a result of that. They're, you know, just what they're doing at work, they're distracted, uh, they may not be focused, and I would say that might be a small price to pay to get probably a, a, a even better than 100% out of someone because of the positive impact uh, that the spouse may feel, uh, in a sense, being partnered with the company. Exactly, Ship. So when it comes to compensation, but you know, we're, there's a lot of small business people, uh, small business owners on on the uh, on the listening to this, and they might say, you know, I don't have the resources to do that. Again, don't think about what you can't do. Think about what you can do. Learn from the way these companies are looking at what they do. Nobody starts out as a big company. Everybody starts out as a small company. But the things you do when you're a small organization really determine whether or not someday you're going to be a big organization. And compensation is definitely something you've got to take a look at. It's not just, can I pay the minimum and get the maximum? It just doesn't work that way. Right, right. And, uh, you know, hey, guilty is charged over here. I know at times that's what, what my mind's going through. All right, we've got, we've got six more, and we don't have a whole lot of time, but let's talk about alignment next. Uh, and I, I love the concept of alignment. Well, you know, Shep, you and I both uh, brag about the Dwyer Group, and most people don't know the Dwyer Group because it's a holding company for a total of 11 different franchise brands like the Appliance Doctor and and Mr. Rooter and Molly Maids. Well, the Dwyer Company is, for them, their values aren't just you know, a couple of words that are written on, on a plaque and stuck in the core office. In fact, they have a policy that says anytime three or more uh, Dwyer employees are together. They begin whatever meeting, lunch, whatever they're doing by reciting the core values of the organization. So stop and think about that. How connected are the people in your organization to what your mission, your goals, and your values are? Sometimes companies will go out and spend a whole lot of money, hire some professional facilitator, go off to some elaborate resort, and come back like you know Moses returning from from you know Mount the, Sinai. The, the mount and say, "Here are our core values." But if you ask that person who's serving you your cup of coffee, you ask that guy on the front line, you ask that telephone rep or whatever, they don't have a clue. So when a company is in alignment, it means everybody knows how things are done, and they subscribe to the values. They adopt the values. They embody those values. That's what's important when it comes to alignment. I've, I've got a number of great examples of that in the book. 
Yeah, I lo- and I love it. Alignment's great, and the Dwyer Group is the perfect example. Dina Dwyer Owens has written a great book called, I think it's Values, Inc., and yeah. uh, just and it, and it explains their philosophy. So uh, atmosphere. Atmosphere. Well, atmosphere is, again, it's, it's our working environment. When we come in, do we feel safe when we come into that environment? You know, do we have the tools necessary to do our job? Is somebody sending us into a, into a machine gun fight with a switchblade? Do we have the right technology, the right are, – are we armed? Then you get into the, do I like my boss? Do I like my coworkers? And are we having any enjoyable experience? Is fun relegated to an annual holiday party at, at some point in December where we just stand around, everybody gets a, you know, a turkey, and then you know, we, we, we cut into some, some cake and cookies and we go home? Or is fun kind of a part of the environment? Here's what we're going to do to bring people together so that they get to know each other outside of work, so that they're doing some enjoyable experiences. And I like to talk about you know, one of the flagship examples I use is an accounting firm based right here in, in uh, Denver, Colorado, called EKSNH, and they compete head-to-head with the big boys, and they're winning the war for talent largely because of the atmosphere that they provide. You go into their, uh, into their facilities, their cubicles are, aren't so sterile. In fact, they call them neighborhoods. People are encouraged to work together in terms of, of team, and in that atmosphere, fun is so much a part of it. They're constantly pulling pranks on each other all the way up to, you know, in a uh, CPA firm. Oh, it's unbelievable. It. <laughs> These people have a riot. My daughter was a was an accounting student when she was in uh, in college. She she interned for six months for an accounting firm it, uh, over a summer. It wasn't six months. She she interned and uh, you know in, in that period of time decided this is not what I want to do. All these people do is stare at computers. Had she gone to EKSNH, she'd be a CPA today. She would have followed on that path because those people enjoy their work. It's built into their culture, and I give a number of examples of how they do that to create that kind of atmosphere that everybody says, this is the place I want to be. Right, right. So that's great. That's really focused on on the, the culture side of it. All right, we're going to take another short break. And when we come back, we've got a few more of these pillars we're going to cover. I promise we're going to get to all of them. Don't go away, everybody. This is Amazing Business Radio on CBS and Play It. We'll be right back. Look out in the street there. You know what you don't see? My car because I had to sell it to pay the lawyer I hired when I got busted for drunk driving. Know what else you don't see? My girlfriend, who decided that a guy with no car and no license and no money was no fun. Cops are out there cracking down on drunk driving all across the country, and they'll see you before you see them. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Introducing Play.it, a podcast network like no other. From award-winning news programming and number one sports brands to entertainment and business leaders, Play.it is delivering storytelling at its best. We're going to be having conversations with newsmakers and culture shapers. I will be talking mostly about fashion and how I've been marketing all my life. Tech, culture, and entrepreneurship. Everything in the world of sports entertainment and wrestling and beyond. Hear what you've been missing at Play.it. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Eric Chester, the author of On Fire at Work, How Great Companies Ignite Passion in Their People Without Burning Them Out. We're talking about the seven pillars. We've talked about compensation, alignment, atmosphere. We're now going to talk about growth, acknowledgement, autonomy, and communication. Talk to us a little bit about growth. 
Well, growth is it just nobody takes a job thinking this is the job I'm going to have for the next 40 years. I'm going to get, retire with a little gold watch. I want to work on the assembly line. In today's day and age, everyone says, okay, this is what I'm hired to do, but are you helping me become more than I am? So we look out to, to Silicon Valley and we see all these you know, companies, the, you know, the Teslas and the Googles and the Facebooks and all these tech companies. There's a, a great book out uh, by Reid Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn, who says in Silicon Valley now, they're not the, the focus isn't I'm going to hire you to do this job for X amount of years. Let's let's pull the curtain back and really talk about what this is about. It's about we're going to be here. Both of us are going to be here for a period of time. What do you want out of this relationship? Where are you going? What do I need from you? And they come up with uh, with an alignment with a with a uh, you know a a, a, a pact. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what you're going to do for me. And we'll renegotiate in two years or in three years. So when it comes to growth, everybody is saying, here's what I'm doing now. Are you preparing me for something more? And great companies do that. Wow. So I love that. So acknowledgement. Every one of us wants to feel like we matter. We don't want to come into an organization to feel like we're just a cog in a big wheel. Do we matter? It, a lot has been said about millennials, every kid gets a trophy. Well, that mentality comes from you know people playing video games where every three to five seconds you're being acknowledged, you're being rewarded with another slice of pizza or an extended uh, life. People in today's workplace want to be acknowledged. They don't want to wait 120 days for a performance re- review. They want to know how they're doing now. Are they appreciated? Are they rewarded? Are they celebrated in the workplace? And great companies know how to do that. I've written an entire chapter, an example, on a company called Wegmans. And only the people oh, yeah. in the, uh, the North Atlantic know who they are. But this is a chain of grocery stores, about 80 strong. That, that they're, they're, And I call them grocery stores at, 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 because it helps people understand what they are. But it's like the biggest Walmart you've ever been in and the biggest Whole Foods had a baby. These are incredible markets. And they not only have been in the Fortune's top 100 companies to work for every year since its inception, they've, they've literally won that uh, the, the America's best employee several, several times, employer several times. And they do it because they have a culture of acknowledgement. I walked in and got a chance to interview the people that work in the aisles. I'm talking about 16, 17, 18-year-old young people who were caddies and cashiers, along with people who have a great amount of experience in the deli counter. And everybody loves being there because they feel like they're acknowledged. People know who they are. They're celebrated when they do something well. They, you know, Nobody is treated just like a cog in anybody else's wheel. So when you look at a company like that that's built on acknowledgement, you say, okay, this is what I need to do to, you know, to, to infuse my culture and make it one where people feel like they're being acknowledged for the good work that they do. Okay. I think that of all the ones that you've mentioned thus far, I'm going to say I'm going to put acknowledgement at the top of my list for what I think is most important. You've got to make people feel valued. It's that simple. And that doesn't mean you're compensating them financially, which goes back to compensation. No, it makes them feel like they're appreciated. And appreciation goes a long way uh, in creating an emotional bond between the employer and the employee, vice versa. So, and, and I also think, you know, everything you've talked about, you know, I'm the customer service expert. That's what I primarily focus on outside of this show. And I think everything you're talking about creates uh, a, a, an environment where an employee says, I'll go to the mat for my company, which means I'll go to the mat for my customer to make them happy for the company that I work for. Absolutely, Shep. Dead on. All right. So uh, we're moving into autonomy. 
Well, autonomy, again, the, what's the American dream? I want to own my own business. So is, you know, why is that the American dream? People want independence. They want to feel like they're a part of something or they can call the shots. So the opposite of that is I, you know, I go to the, you know, the, the, the old mill every day and somebody tells me to keep my head down, my nose to the grindstone, and just do what I'm told. That's an old school thought process. It just no longer holds water. So great companies are training people to think like entrepreneurs, right, instead of entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, I can, can make some decisions and when I make decisions, I feel like I'm a part of something bigger than myself. So we, we're, most of us are familiar with, uh, you know, companies that do that. I mean, you know, Ritz Carlton, they empower people to make a decision up to $2,000, any employee in the organization, et cetera. And it's all built on training because when you train people well, you trust them to make decisions. So the, the, the quality of a training in an organization really equals the degree of trust that we give them so that we can trust them. You don't want to bring somebody in fresh and say, okay, just go ahead, do whatever you think is important, because that leads to, to a lot of confusion. Autonomy says, look, I'm excited to be here because I can make some decisions, because they trust me. Now, one of the companies I talk about is a tech firm based in Minneapolis. It's called The Nerdery. And The Nerdery is, was comprised by three guys who didn't set out to say, hey, let's create a company where we can make a lot of money. They were tired of their old jobs and said, let's create a company where Everybody really wants to work. So they started out 10 years ago with three guys. Today they have over 500 employees, and every single employee wears a bracelet and has a, has a title, co-president. They want their people to think like co-presidents. They want them to think like owners. So rather than saying, hey, we make decisions around here based upon your level of experience and what title you have on your business card, instead, their thought process is the best idea wins. So you get these tech nerds together they're, you know, where they're creating website and developing software and what have you. No matter how long you've been there, you share your ideas with a team of people, and then people vote. What's the best idea? And that gives people an opportunity to say, hey, wait a second. I'm in the game. I've got some skin in this game. This is really cool because my ideas can win. I don't have to be around for X amount of time before all of a sudden someone will listen to me. I so love this. Encouragement to think and act independently and make decisions even when they're wrong. All right. So I think, to you know, you mentioned Google and how they pay people well. But one of the things they do is they say, what do you want to do more than anything here at Google? And they make sure that even if it's just a small little percentage of the job that they do overall, it could be 5 or 10%. They let them work on something that they absolutely love to do. And you know how the squeaky wheel gets the oil? Well, sometimes the uh, one little great thing that you get at work on a daily, day-in, day-out basis or a project you get to work on ongoing because it's one of your passions, that overshadows anything else. Oh, I love working. Oh, yeah, there might be a couple of things I don't enjoy, but that's cool. Enterprise Rent-A-Car, their internal mantra is my enterprise. They want each and every one of those managers who are typically kids in their 20s out in the branches to manage their enterprise rent-a-car location as if it's their own. All right, we're wrapping up with the seventh one. It's communication. Real important. You mentioned it's got to go both ways, but we've got to let those employees know exactly what's going on. Get them excited about what's going on. Tell us more about that. 
got a chance to interview Bill Marriott and uh, oh, yeah. J.W. Bill Marriott, a legendary figure in America. Marriott Hotel always listed as one of the great workplaces, number one in their industry. Why is that? And of course, Marriott owns Ritz-Carlton and the Gaylord Properties, a number of other brands. I asked Mr. Marriott, what, what makes Marriott such a great employer? He says, we listen to our people. I said, well, Mr. Marriott, most every employer would say that. And he goes, oh, we take it a bit uh, a bit deeper. At the Marriott Corporation, every person who's in a supervisory management capacity is required to hold a minimum of a five-minute stand-up meeting every single day. Well, what's a stand-up meeting? Well, it's kind of like a huddle. We just bring people together. Well, what do you do in a stand-up meeting? He says, well, first of all, we stand up because if you're <laughs> sitting down, you tend to just relax. If you stand up, you got your attention. And he goes, it, it follows a three-point uh, you know, three uh, uh, philosophy here. Number one, we tell people what they're doing well. So there you go. There's some acknowledgement. Number two, we tell them what we need to work on. There's your growth, we, what we need to do as a team to get better. And I go, well, what's that third thing? He says, wow, that's our secret sauce. You see, the third thing, we shut up and we ask people, what do you need to do your job better? Not, hey, do you need more? What do you need to do your job better? Let me ask anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, when was the last time you asked your people, what do you need to do your job better? You don't have to give them everything they want, but you do have to listen, to acknowledge, to engage, and to respond. Even if the answer is no, give them a why. This is why we can't do that right away. That's a great idea. It's an idea that maybe we – but this is why we can't do it at least because people will stay where they feel like they're being listened to. Communication is not just top-down. It's top-down, it's bottom-up, it's inside-out, it's people knowing what's going on, like they're a part of it. You want your people to be on fire at work. How much do they really know about the internal workings and what's going on in your organization? Great, great, great ideas, great thoughts, great, I mean, really, it's research that you've done on, an, on a topic that you've been passionate about for a long, long time. So we're about to the end. One thing, this is my one thing question. I warned you this was going to come. If there's one thing you want this audience who's listening to know about, it can be a reemphasis on something you've already talked about or something new. Give me the one thing. You go to Amazon, you type in a book on employee engagement, you're going to get over 7,000 results. The question is, is engagement really what you're after? Because if you look at uh, in the employer-employee relationship, look at it, you go, well, there's seven things I want out of them. That's the seven core values we talked about in Reviving Work Ethic. This book talks about the seven things they want out of us, and we're not going to hire anybody who doesn't bring what they want, and they're not going to take a job if they don't get what they want. Engagement happens on day one. We're playing a, a, a game for a tie. On Fire says, I want more than that. I want to exceed expectations. I want to be a company who looks at these seven things and can literally win the game, the head-to-head -head competition with everybody else who's out there fighting for the same kind of people I want because my compensation, my atmosphere, my alignment, you know, those things are superior. So if you focus on those things to make yourself a better company, instead of thinking the customer comes first, think the employee comes first. Because if you take care of your employees, they're going to take care of your people. This book is packed with actionable ideas about great companies, big companies, small companies, all sorts of companies who are doing very innovative things to win the employee game, Shep. All right. And if you want to be successful at work, if you want to be successful with the people that you work with, which transfers over to the customer, what's happening on the inside of any company 
is going to be felt on the outside, creating that culture that you're talking about. These seven pillars will make that happen. Eric, man, this has been great. Thanks so much for taking the time to do the show. Hey, Chef, thanks for having me on board. And by the way, on behalf of all the 4,000-plus speakers in the National Speakers Association, Chef, thank you for your recent service as the president of the National Speakers Association. Let me tell you something. You delivered on your promise by being an amazing president who served your members well. Wow. Thank well. you, Chef. <laughs> thank you, brother. I appreciate that. You know, this is why we call this Amazing Business Radio, because we have amazing people like Eric Chester who've written amazing books like On Fire at Work. It is out now, and I highly suggest that you get this book today. My name's Shep Hike, and you've been listening to Amazing Business Radio on CBS and Play It. And I always like to end with these three words. Always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.